This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Hello and welcome to the Pioneer Agronomy Podcast, where we keep you one step ahead of local agronomy issues throughout Illinois. On today's episode, we're actually changing it up a little bit. So typically we kick it off with um, updates around the state and then jump into our topic. But actually, since we are in the heart of harvest across Illinois, we thought we would do just a general harvest update as an episode here for you guys today. So um, we're actually going to incorporate some of the updates that we normally would do at the beginning of the episode throughout this episode. So um, with that on the call, we have myself, Crystal Williams, representing Northern Illinois. Cody Pettit, representing Eastern Illinois. Matt McEmory from West Central, Central Illinois. And Scott Eversgard from Southern Illinois. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for being on here today. So um, as I look at the group that's on the call um, or on our podcast, I would say Scott definitely has the most harvest progress. And so, Scott, um, tell me about what's going on in your area and how is harvest coming along? So things are things are progressing pretty fast. I mean, we've had a really a heck of a run of harvest weather here. And we had a little rain event there. What day was that? I don't know, five, six days ago. You know, we had about an inch of rain, different areas, a little more, a little less. Took us out of the field for about two days, but man, we were right back at it. And, but we got a lot of, you know, we got some, we got a few guys that are approaching being done. Um, we got a few guys that are either done with beans, done with corn. But in general, we're probably sitting around 60 to 70% done on both corn and beans. Um, now, of course, the double crop beans are just turning good, so they're, they're a little ways out, but uh, for our first crop beans and corn, we've, we've made great progress and looks like we got a front coming in possibly Friday uh, with some significant rain up to an inch is what they're calling for. So I could slow things down a bit, but, you know, ground condition is still in great shape. Um, and like I said, things coming out fast. Wheat planting is uh, is headed off at an extremely fast pace. And we're sitting here on what is the October 10th. You know, we've probably got 50% of our wheat in the ground. So wheat's going in fast. Um, so yeah, it's been really been a been a good fall. Now from the season and the environment which this crop went through, um, are you know yield reports kind of what you're anticipating, or has there been any surprises out in the fields? Yeah, I think the general consensus is things are probably a little better than what we all expected. Um, you know, we may talk a little later about maybe some of the reasons why that is, but, you know, overall, I think guys are, are kind of pleasantly surprised with some of the yields we're seeing with uh, with the conditions that the crop went through. So, yeah, I think uh, if we could just fix the prices, everybody would be in a really good mood. So. I think you're spot on there. Absolutely. Um, Matt, I think you would be next in terms of harvest progress. So tell me about what's going on in your geography. Yeah, that. That uh, progress is probably pretty close to what uh, Scott's talking about. Um, and again, same story that Scott mentioned, you know, riding with a guy yesterday, um, I think basically wrapping up with corn, you know, and focusing on beans, um, other people right in the middle of it. So, I mean, kind of a, a mixed bag there. 
um, but trekking right along. Same story as Scott, that we've got that possibility of rain tomorrow, uh, Thursday, Friday, which will probably slow things down just a little bit. Um, and then uh, th- th- as far as the crop goes, um, corn side of things, much, much better than uh, probably pessimists like me were predicting at the time, um, coming out a, a lot stronger. That's not uniform. I mean, you still have people, some people that are running into rough stuff that that's still out there. And I I need to make sure I give that shout out, as we always do, that, that some people do have a rougher go. But regionally, you know, in this area that I cover, um, probably stronger corn yields than most people would have thought. Um, beans feel like a little bit more of a roller coaster, um, uh, you know, kind of this swing, um, really good yields, and then kind of just uh, yields that maybe we would have talked about 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, kind of an up and down story there. And so that's kind of the the status of the part of the world that I cover. Awesome. No, that's um, good to hear. And I'm going to talk about Northern Illinois update here in a little bit, but I would say that we also have seen some of that up and down um, story across the soybean um, yields that we're experiencing too. So um, Cody, out to the east how are things going on over there pretty good not not as far along as uh, <clears throat> scott or matt there probably I, I would say we're we might be getting close to 50 percent in some pockets but overall eastern illinois maybe 40 percent um it seems like a lot of guys are starting to wrap up on beans everybody switched to beans because moisture got down there really low regardless of of um how much leaves had fallen. There were some green beans yet that were still cutting 10%, 11%. So guys were switched to that and went heavy. <clears throat> and then, um, and so uh, I think guys are transitioning back to corn now. Um, Pete, most customers know that stock quality is not the best uh, this year. And um, for reasons, uh, I'm sure there's several factors, but we've looked at a lot of fields and just gauged that stock quality. And yeah, it's, it's not very good. Um, uh, you know, if we got a really big wind event, I, I think that might uh, cause some issues. But nonetheless, things are uh, really, really good. Um, uh, surprised by corn yields, soybean yields, we are very, very surprised. There's a couple pockets where where you get that, like Matt said, that roller coaster on soybean yields. But for the most part, soybeans are better than expected. Corn is way better than expected. Uh, I, I I didn't expect to see this. Um, I knew we were going to have really good fields. I knew we could have potentially had record yields in some areas just because of not the environment that we had. But when we got into crop tours and that time of year, uh, I knew there was a lot of corn out there. So I'm I'm not surprised in some areas, but overall, I didn't know. I didn't think we were going to have the consistency that we've had. And and it has been consistent, but just been consistently good. So, you know, there's, there's, there might be one or two situations fields that I've heard of this year where there's something off, but typically that goes back to um, a stress issue outside of um, just yield alone. And there was, there was some other factor that altered that, but um, overall things are good. Uh, Yeah. I I would say on the wheat side, we are probably uh, close to 40% planted on wheat. Um, A lot of stuff uh, farther up North, in that Iroquois, Kankakee, Will counties, that wheat where wheat planting really started this week, and we'll, we'll go into this week now that we got some 
some crops out of the field and some guys have um, transitioned labor around a little bit. Um, but uh, that's, that's where we're at in Eastern Illinois. Awesome. No, that's, um, as I think about Northern Illinois update, um, probably a pretty similar sentiment in terms of progress compared to our um, peers of Matt and Scott's um, harvest progress. So for Northern Illinois, I would say, and granted this is um, 80 corridor in North, so um, kind of a swing in terms of maybe when some people were able to get started and that kind of thing. But um, I, if I had to guess, I would say we're at least 50% done at the minimum on soybeans, if not closer to that 75%. Um, really, we had some delays earlier on in soybean harvest because of some late precipitation and um, really kind of kept it from being optimal. And um, depending on the maturity that you might have planted, that made it a little bit tough in terms of moisture now um, from a harvest commentary. So um, here in some eight or nine percent soybeans, which is definitely not ideal in terms of um, harvest loss at the combine there. So um, then as you look at if you're not already done with beans or further along in that story on beans, then we're chugging along right away in corn. And um, to Cody's comment on standability or um, or that just the stock degradation ultimately that we're experiencing, um, that's a pretty big concern of mine. So as much as I um, talk with customers. I'm really trying to encourage to um, just get beans done. We got to get those out of the field right, but um, try to get to that corn and try to plan which fields need to be harvested first based on um, stock um, harvestability. So um, trying to get through that. And so from a yield pattern perspective, soybean variability in terms of yield has really been. Um, Kind of those highs and lows that we previously discussed and part of our jobs as agronomists is you know okay hey here's all this yield data tell me what happened or <laughs> figure out where did we go wrong in the season or um trying to better understand really paint that story with things so um haven't fully gone to the exact results or um figuring out what the exact situation is necessarily because I think I need some more harvest information before I can um, put a flag in the ground on something. But um, personally, if I had to assume if you're seeing some pretty big um, swings in terms of soybean yields this year, um, I would say, you know, just our rains this season have been so variable and spotty that, um, you know, you could could have gotten rain at your farmstead and then, you know, a mile or two north of you, they might not have gotten it or um, that kind of thing. It's just so sporadic. So as you think about um, fields across the geography or even within a given county, there can be so much variability in that. Um, I also think about um, soil types. And um, I had one example, um, one plot that I had been following throughout the season. They were probably my most stressed environment for um, rainfall and just, you know, kind of limping by almost throughout the entire season. And they were able to pull off actually um, relatively average or um, much more above what I anticipated from a yield perspective on soybeans. And the only thing we could, you know, really combine that with is, you know, they planted a little bit earlier, right? And then also that soil type was a little bit more conducive or heavier clays that could hold 
um, a little bit more moisture deeper in the soil profile than versus a um, coarse soil or you know more sandy um, type of soils. So um, from a corn perspective, some of my area was um, I did some weather analysis and it was actually the driest August in the last 40 years. Um, so I assumed we were going to be kind of a train wreck in terms of, you know, possibly grain fill or test weight and all those different things. Um, not really what we're seeing, but I will say that some of those really tougher acres, um, like some of the timber ground that's uh, more sandy or different things like that, um, you know, the class A and B soils are doing a little bit much better. And then um, some of the worst soils are, you know, in a tougher spot there. So um, that's kind of Northern Illinois update. You know, Crystal, you talked about soybean yields, and we're seeing the same thing. You know, a lot of bouncing up and down, a lot of variability. As you really look back, you know, and you think about this thing in the big picture, you know, I'd, I'd spent more more time in a soybean field, you know, there to the last three weeks of the season than I had in the previous three years put together, um, just because there was everything going on in a soybean field. I mean, you could find, you could find, you know, of course we had red crown rot, we had SDS, we had Phytophthora, we had Fusteriums. You know, I, I found anthracnose in a field the other day. And, and I think really that the moral of that story is, is what we got to understand is all these pathogens are out there in every field every year. And it's just a matter of whether you're going to get the environment that allows that pathogen to expose itself. And you're going to get a plant that's weakened by some sort of stress that allows immunity to be down for that pathogen to get in or that disease. And, and, and then you take the variability in the environments. Like you said, one area gets rain three miles away, another area doesn't. And so I think we were exposed to every environment you could. You had every pathogen out there in the field lying in wait. And the end result is, is, is we got to see them all. I mean, you, you didn't have to go very far to do it. And I think that's, and, and that's the reason a lot of our, our, our yields are bouncing as well. Because, um, I mean, I, like I said, I've, I've had to look more things up on soybeans this year than ever. Um, just because usually you get one or two diseases, kind of the theme for the year. But, man, you go from field to field to field and find everything. Yeah, I think, you know, Scott, it, a lot of times I think about um, some of my people who who beans are kind of a, a super beloved crop, right? You know, probably for them, it's the the number one as opposed to corn, you know, maybe for some other people, they get a little bit wound up because, I'll talk about beans are, are pretty tough and historically that's kind of true. I mean, we usually talk about beans are pretty tough stuff. It takes an awful lot to really take yield out of them. We usually don't see a lot of pests that nip away at it, except when it comes to the weed front. And boy, this year was such a contrast. I, I can't think of another season that I've seen this level of disease, except for maybe like that late nineties, spike in SDS that we saw where it would sweep in kind of early and, and really took a hit on yield. This has been kind of an extraordinary year, year on the disease front. Um, a, a lot of stuff going on in beans and very different from what we usually experience. Yeah, I, I would agree with um, both Matt and Scott there. I mean, it's, it's funny how the environment that you guys have seen I mean, directly correlates to what I'm seeing in Eastern Illinois. I'm sure uh, Crystal's seeing it up north too. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better, Scott. You didn't have to go far to find every single disease. The amount of samples that I sent in this year, we got stuff 
sent back that were confirmed positive for for diseases that I wasn't even looking for. Uh, you know, I we'd walk into a field and and yeah, you had your phytophthora pockets, but then you had a spot where it looked like phytophthora, it looked like you know rhizoc, and 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 maybe it was this red crown rot. We couldn't quite tell, so you know we sent several samples in. Actually, I still got samples yet to get um, um, results back from. But this started, you know, early July when we started seeing this right after those rains. And um, and we'd get, there's one sample I got. It was a 10 by 10 block and it was uh, Phytophthora, Sudden Death, Brown Stemra, and, and Fusarium. Uh, Fusarium or I couldn't remember. But, you know, that was so hard to identify what was going on because there were so many diseases all right there. And, and we didn't even know SDS, w w there was no symptoms of SDS at the time. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you guys. One thing I found interesting this year and last year, we saw SDS kind of come on, and a lot of guys started get to getting worried about it, especially last year. And, you know, towards the end of July and August, right when we started seeing it, and then it kind of just went away, and it kind of fizzled out. And then it started doing that again this year. Um, and I mean fizzled out by, you know, it didn't really spread that much. Uh, you know, beans started senescence, and then there were good beans. So, you know, guys really didn't care. Same thing happened this year. You know, we started the SDS. Guys got really worried. Uh, you know, you know, I put a Levo on them, or they didn't have much rain on them at the beginning. I didn't plant those beans early, you know, and we saw the symptoms, and then uh, they kind of, you know, they didn't spread very much, but, but there was a lot of different pockets of them, and uh, beans started senescence, and then they were 80-bushel beans. So that's one weird thing I've seen these past couple of years. We're seeing – symptomology of, of SDS and it's really not affecting yield that much or it could be but it's not affecting the the expectation of yield at least I do feel like um you know we get kind of to the end of that soybean growing season and senescence is occurring and then it's like okay is this actually natural senescence or is it is the disease coming in what is going on and so um, I'm glad you guys brought up red crown rot. So if you're a listener and you don't know what that is, um, we actually have an episode earlier. I think it was in like June or May that we put it out. So you can look it up and find it. Um, really excellent episode. And that's been one thing that I've been trying to keep a close eye on. I know um, one of my peers thinks that um, he might have found it possibly. Um, but really all we can do is send in a sample. And so that'll really ultimately confirm. But there's a lot of different things, um, you know, going on out in those soybean fields. And I guess from you guys' perspective, is there um, a point in the growing season? I mean, obviously that environment matched up perfectly for it or for different diseases. Um, do we get to a point where really anything can kind of move in and um, that plant really isn't trying to put up any defense against anything? Yeah, you know, we a lot of times talk about the season being uh, about yield being G by E by M, right? Genetics by environment by management. And I think Scott brought up a, a great point and alluded to this. I think it was an E by G story this year. Environment was huge. Um, and, and the way that you can stress a plan out and cause it to crack one that even normally defends pretty well against disease, cause it to crack and actually have disease show up in less than textbook quality disease environments. I think that's one of the things that surprised me. We had some diseases pop up 
And we really didn't have the historic conditions that we talk about for for setting up those diseases. And and I do feel like that environmental stress really cracked some things and weakened, as Scott said, some plants and made them much more susceptible. And uh, just a good underlying point that environment really gets to call the tune on what happens with yield. Yeah, and I think that, you know, maybe transition to corn here, but I kind of saw the same thing in corn. Um, you know, kind of kind of looking back on the season, you wonder how how we're getting the yields we, we're getting. And I kind of break it out into to three growing seasons, so to speak. Kind of, kind of made it a little simpler for me to understand is you look at that early season, that, that planting until, let's say, let's say until you switch to, the, to the, the primary root system. You know, you're establishing a stand, you're getting it up, you're getting good nutrient uptakes once you're on your primary root system. And then you kind of switch over to your complete vegetative stages. You're just, it's just flat out growth, right? And then of course you hit pollination and, and grain fill. So you think about it in those three buckets. And really, our, if we look back, that first bucket was pretty darn good. You know, we planted this crop in really good conditions. We didn't get extremely pounding rains. Um, we had some rain, but wasn't bad. We weren't hot then. So this, the crop got off to a great start. Our stress came in during vegetative stages. And then as we got to, you know, reproductive stages and early grain fill, we were, we were catching a little bit of water again. So, you know, as you look at all the charts and all this stuff that's written on how much yield you're losing at different growth stages and, you know, we, we proved a lot of those charts wrong this year, um, but that that that's just what that, that's going to happen every year, right? That's what crops do. They have a will to survive and will for it to reproduce, and that's what they're going to do. So, but I definitely think that you know having that vegetative stress outside and, and not a reproductive or grain fill stress is where we we did pick up a lot of yield there. Probably built more yield than any of us thought we were going to build. You know, Scott brought up that. It, this early season started out really well. You know, we started out fairly dry early and that felt like a negative in some cases, you know. So we had cases where we were talking on our crop reports about sandblasting, right? We were early on talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, reduced plant stature. You know, we were talking about alfalfa bale counts being down by half just because you didn't get that vertical growth that you normally do, but a huge, side positive that happened is we had an ability for roots to dig down deep in a way that they haven't done very much in Illinois for the last few years. I think it would have been an, a really different story if we'd started out wet, had really shallow root systems, and then cruised into this mid-season stress that Scott was talking about. I think you would have had roots in, in really arid soil environments, really hunting for moisture, and instead, we had some real good root development early on, um, that not in every field, but in lots of fields that actually assisted us to limp through some pretty uncomfortable portions of the of the growing season. Yeah, Scott mentioned, uh, you know, proving the charts wrong. And so the way I think about that is, OK, did we did we prove those charts wrong? What if we would have gotten some rain in June, you know, would, would be would would we be 10 to 20 bushels even better? In my mind, probably not because of what Matt just said. And then also, I always go back to the environment of being disease free. I think that's a huge 
component of this and plus the cool nights and all that but i think disease free was a big aspect of keeping that leaf surface clean like matt said you got that awesome root system you got these clean leaves just um this this factory just producing all these sugars and just you know there's there was no <clears throat> there's no setback in that you know we didn't yeah. see heck if i go out there now it's hard for me to find gray leaf yeah we saw tar spot and all that stuff late but normally the first disease i see is gray leaf and and I started to see northern and tar spot before I even saw gray leaf. So I, I think that's a big component of it. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, th- those charts have been proven wrong because I think if you give up one thing, that, you know, there's a con- there's a pro to every con. You know, we didn't get the rain, but like these other things, you know, Matt said bigger root system, less disease. And, again, the cooler nights, I think, helps us too. But, um, yeah. I do think one place where the charts got it right, and I'd be interested to hear what you guys think, but um, you folks think, but, but, you know, getting rain in proximity to reproduction, I, we came, I, I keep telling people down this way that I, I think it was 1159 and 59 seconds that we got, got the rainfall. We got right up to the midnight hour um, and got it just in time to push out silk development. And I feel like some of that is underlined, Scott, because there's an area where you and I bleed over where people did not quite get that rain in time. And they are talking about like 140, 150 bushel yields. There's a little band there that missed that. Yeah. And and they kind of took it on the chin and almost feels like a, tr- a, a proof, you know, truth test to how critically we got rain at the exact last moment that we could have afforded to to have got it. Yeah, I remember that. So we were headed into Fourth of July weekend. Um, that that Wednesday, Thursday, I spent all day Wednesday and Thursday in Clinton County, working with the dairy guys, and we were bringing in, you know, every kind of sorghum, sedan grass, and everything we could think of because if it didn't rain on 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 Tuesday, you know, we we the choppers were going to the field, and we were chopping what was left of the corn crop because there was nothing there, and and then we were going to start planting anything to get cow feed. And miraculously, we got the rain over the weekend, and somehow we salvaged a 130 to 150 bushel corn crop out of that. That, that you know, that, like I said, we were we were literally two or three days away from most of that crop getting chopped um, because there was just nothing there. So, so yeah, you were right. We were we had one second left on the clock, and uh, yeah, and we, we almost expired. Ball was I, in the I, air, you- buzzer went off. So. I know I've shared this story, but one of the one of the ways I also feel like up my way, um, that Quincy area I talked about all season long, and it's actually come out not too bad. But I think about Scott, you were talking about that that July, you know, June 29th, Fourth of July weekend rain that came through. Um, that next week, I know I told this. I went out and looked at a field, and it had just an inch and a half of silk, and had just then blown through all the pollen so i mean that inch and a half of silt came out because of that rainfall and that's how close we were you know the all of that silk progression came out in response to that rainfall event and we blew through all the pollen and it would have taken nothing to to actually nudge that the other direction if we had had it just a hair later we would have blown through the pollen and had no silk development to catch that stuff. So uh, really down to the last minute, last second. Crystal, did you, did you guys? 
um, as far as corn harvest, have you, have you got in a lot of corn? I know you said you guys were largely, oh, I mean, getting close yeah. to with beans. But. Yep. So um, I would say um, people are trying to hopefully wrap up um, soybeans, ideally if they aren't already wrapped up, um, wrap up this week and then um, switch over to corn. So um, and some people, if they had the capability of kind of dividing and conquering, they did that too. So um, depending on your grain setup, but yeah, we've gotten a little bit of corn in. Um, I would say probably if you looked from the entire Northern Illinois area, I would, if I had to guess like 20% maybe in corn um, or corn is harvested, harvested so far. So, um, you know, just kind of I laughed because one of my um, sales reps was tired of seeing um, only soybean yield um, or plot yield results. So he went ahead and harvested his corn plot quick, <laughs> trying to get a little bit of a mood booster here. So, yeah. But I would say, um, I mean, echo everything that you guys had talked about in terms of um, the most, as you look at throughout the season, really that rainfall I know we had one about June 28th and then in early July and those rains couldn't have been more timely. I remember, what was it, June or no, sorry, July 11th or 12th, I was giving a um, talk with a bunch of customers up along the state line region. And um, here I had presented a talk that was talking about the most optimal timings of rain and it was pouring rain on the tin roof and I had to fight that with my microphone. So of course, um, I think we need to schedule more of those in the summer, especially when they get dry. <laughs> so maybe it causes my presentation to be not accurate anymore. But um, I remember in that meeting talking about truly, um, regardless of what your beliefs are, how blessed we were to truly, um, you know, get that precipitation and rainfall. Um, and that is just, you know, a gift sent from above, I feel like. So um, so that's been really exciting. Um, I will also say, as I think about this harvest, one thing that I was a little nervous on is we were kind of trending dry, but now we got a bunch of rains here in um, Northern Illinois and stuff. So kind of makes it a mute point, but I was fairly concerned in terms of if we continue to track dry, what, um, you know, just the risk of field fires and stuff like that as we operate equipment through, um, especially in some of these droughty environments. Um, well, luckily, I feel like we've caught enough precipitation or um, hopefully we continue to catch a little bit of rain to keep that from, you know, being a big risk for um, our farmers here across Illinois. So, um, but I guess any other comments on harvest update? It's Good to see you guys. We're kind of in the trenches of harvest right now. I'd be curious what everybody thinks on the, you know, we talked about this was kind of an E by G year, what people's thoughts are on the genetic front, because I know I have some definite opinions about um, feeling like there is part of that story that that comes from that as well. And just would be curious to see what you folks think. So I will um, start this one off. I have the luxury of working with some pioneer sales reps that have been in the business for about 20 years. And um, this year, and then also in 2021, we were kind of drier. And so that has been, you know, awesome to listen to them and talk about, hey, for the lack of rainfall or having half of the precipitation than what we normally would have, we're looking at 10 inches of rain throughout the entire season 
this is a darn good crop that we're able to showcase out of our hybrids that you know we have in this area um and i just think that you know that benchmark of expectation has risen to the occasion um with some of the genetic advancement and different things like that so i do feel like um a big part of this has been or some of this um corn story especially has been the level of genetics that we can crank out through breeding yeah i'm glad you brought that up matt um that's that's been one of the biggest things that I've, I've i've went to when it comes you know where are these yields coming from and i think more than at least half of it is genetics because the, the one thing that i do and anytime i get that question asked and we got a little bit as we started to do kind of um pre-harvest customer appreciation dinners i've been getting that question because we we could anticipate that we were going to have a at least a pretty decent crop and then the one thing that i do is i i'll ask somebody who's been farming for you know 30 40 50 years you know would did would you ever expect these kind of yields 20 years ago and it's always a no and you know and these are customers and reps but mainly customers and well what do you think that reason is well genetics so a lot of that that i get back even from customer feedback is that it's just pure genetics and um and obviously there's a lot of other things too but uh yeah we, we wouldn't have seen this 20 years ago and it's interesting i have yet to sit down and analyze all this, but I would like you to see kind of when's the last time we had a year like this, uh, a very similar year, and how long ago was that, and just kind of, you know, have we seen a year like this, and I'm sure we have somewhere along the lines, but if it was 20 years ago, then what kind of yield did we have then, so I, I'll be curious to do that eventually when I get some free time this winter, but um, yeah, Matt and Scott, I mean, what's your guys' take on that? So I agree, and I, so for us, 2012, you know, would have been we compare everything to from a dry perspective, and yeah, you know, I've kind of explained it like this. Think, you know, it's really since 2012 we haven't had a, a really dry, dry year. I mean, we've had some some uh, some some acute dry spots, but nothing widespread like we did this year. So I think really what we got to see was you got to see 11 years of of uh, breeding all culminate into one year. Because all those years where we were getting water for the last 10 or 11 years, you didn't really see that that breeding, you know, that, that genetic gain, so to speak. It's hard to see one to two bushel a year, right, From especially on a specific topic like like a drought maybe. Uh, but then when you get a year like this, you almost add all those 10 or 12 years together and you get to see them in one year. And I think that's kind of what we see, what we've seen in 2023, you know, compared to where we were at in 2012. Now, 2012 was still a disaster. No doubt about it, um, but yet, you know, I, I think the genetic breeding is is definitely given us some advantage. Um, you know, like I said, it's hard to measure one one to two bushel a year on genetic gain, but when you can throw it all together, you can see 20, 25, 30 bushel. And I think that's kind of what we what we saw this year is all that came came to the head, and we got to see it at one time. I will. I do want to make an adjustment on what I had said. So I had said. Um, 23 and 21 were drier years. That was more from like when we got rain or didn't get rain. That I just want to clarify that um, we were able to pull some good yields off of 2021 as well. But um, I would echo that comment, Scott. Really, this is a true testament of um, yeah that gap of or over a decade of breeding, basically of what you're looking at 
um, and kind of how we were able or um, how companies have been able to level up. Um, and I do think there's some of, you know, in a good year, all, you know, companies can do pretty good. But um, definitely when we get into some of these stress environments, that really paints a um, exciting story from a observation perspective too. So um, any other comments? Well, this was a little bit more of a company type plug on the genetic front, but it does feel like some things came together just right. Um, some great timing. I mean, for us, just on the pioneer side, I, you know, I, I, we talked about drought. It, it does feel like 12 was an earthquake and and it really shifted the focus and we tried to build a lot more drought resilience into products plant health wise um i think most of you guys have seen that there, there was some real emphasis several years ago on plant health that definitely seems to have to come into play and then some real work you know just on the pure yield front and boy it's it's been kind of neat to see those all intersect uh, it's not a perfect story but um maybe the right way to say it is it's a lot more great dumb luck than what Matt Montgomery usually sees. <laughs> I, I, you know, it doesn't usually work out that way in my experience. So we've had a lot of nice things crisscross right and uh, very, very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. so, one, so one thing to think about just, you know, kind of food for thought, and I don't have the answer to this, but, you know, we, we grow our research plots out in the field like everyone else. So what's what's this do from a selection process of new hybrids moving forward? Um, you know, you probably gain a little more in a year like this than you do. In Great a point. Year. So yeah, so you know, our our breeders are experts at that, and then we'll 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 go through selection process and they'll select some great products again. But it does make you wonder if 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 you get a little more in a year like this. Yeah, you know, a, a great year is a terrible year for plant breeding. You know, I mean, for selecting out products, right? You know, if everything does great, that's that's not really telling you anything. That's a really good mm -hmm. point, Scott. Yeah, yeah, it is. I do feel like um, sometimes, and I've been trying to keep an eye on like plot results or whatever, some products are built more for droughty environments and others are not. And so um, one caution I have is um, it's not every year that northern Illinois or certain areas of Illinois do run through a droughty environment. So um, keep that in mind that we might kind of filter through products a little bit differently depending on, um, you know, how they're built for this specific environment, right? So um, kind of the flip side of the breeding perspective is it could um, we could lose some really good products that are more in normal years if that make or if there is a normal year. But really, all this kind of if I had to put a bow on everything here today, um, a lot of this um, probably wasn't because of how we managed, but more so what um, cards we were dealt from a environment perspective um, in the precipitation and timeliness of our season. So um, with that, thank you for listening to our Pioneer Agronomy podcast, where we keep you one step ahead of local agronomy issues throughout Illinois. Um, thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.